Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Glad that you're here today. Grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, I do bring you greetings from Chandler, Arizona, from a sister church, Compass Christian Church. And uh, you're probably thinking again, like, ain't no way you're from Arizona. And you're right. I was born in the Holy Land in the hills of East Tennessee. And Luke thought that he might need a translator for you to understand everything today. But I'm going to do my best to speak as clearly as possible, even being from East Tennessee. Hey, uh, honor and a privilege to be here with you to preach today. Uh, So thankful to get to see what God is doing in other places. And he's doing great things here in Plainfield, Indiana, for sure. I, I want to take a moment, thank you, brother, for all the kind words that, that you said, uh, t- to brag on your uh, minister for a moment. Man, I love Luke Proctor as well. And we've been in this grad program together with Wheaton College. In fact, I got a picture here. It's coming. There it is. That is Luke Proctor and myself in Israel. We're in Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem proper, on the steps they call these uh, the steps to Caiaphas's house. Uh, this is one of the places in Israel where we know for sure that Jesus actually walked. So we took a picture together. We put our hands on those steps to be as, you know, as close to the physical proximity of the Lord Jesus as we could. And, and man, it was a great trip. And, and all of us have just grown together as a cohort. And I'm so thankful that I got to meet Luke and become his friend. Uh, You know he is a man of the Bible. That's no uh, disguising that because he's a great preacher and brings the word every week. But he is also, I can tell you, a man of God. Uh, He loves Jesus. Uh, He's a family man. He loves his family. He's a man of prayer. Uh, If he's ever prayed over you, you know that's true. He prayed over me before we started first service today. And man, I appreciated his words and and the depth of his commitment to Jesus and, and prayer. And just a great person, just a a fun guy to hang out with. So, brother, I love you too, and it is my honor to be here today to preach to Plainfield. Now, by the way, that picture, uh, it it is unretouched, okay? This is hashtag no filter. That is Luke unfiltered, right? I mean, the muscles and everything in that picture, we did not touch that up with Photoshop. (laughs) That's Luke, man. He's, He's a stud for sure. And you know how people do that. They put the hashtag no filter on their Instagram, and that's their way of saying, hey, this has not been retouched at all. This is the original picture. And I think everybody wants to see that way. Everybody wants to see clearly. Uh, But it's more than just a physical thing, isn't it? We want to see the real deal. We want to know the truth. And yet in the culture that we're living in these days, it's kind of hard to know whether or not we're seeing and hearing the real truth. We hear people say things like, there are no absolutes. And I want to say to them, are you absolutely sure? (laughs) Because that that is an absolute statement that you just made. We want the truth, and we want to see clearly. And I can't think of many places better to see Jesus clearly than in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel according to Mark. You spent most of the year in the Gospel of Mark. This is a series called All Hail the King. The first half of Mark can be summarized by saying, Jesus is the Christ. So who is this coming king? Well, we know who he is. He is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I want to stop for a second before we go into part two, though, because that term king can sound very oppressive. In fact, even this language that Mark uses kind of sounds oppressive. 
Literally, Mark says in chapter 1 in his intro, prepare the way for the king or for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, that word way is the word for highway or the word for road. Ancient people hearing this prophecy would immediately know what it was talking about. Because when a king came into your region or when a king came to your country, you actually had to build a highway. You had, you had to build a road to honor the king. Now, you know, back in those days in the ancient Near East, they had no modern technology. They had no modern engineering. So if you built a normal road and there was a rock formation, you just went around the rock formation. And if you got to a canyon, you kind of zigzagged down into the canyon and then zigzagged back up to the other end of the canyon. But if you wanted to prepare a straight road for a king, you had to dig down through the rock formations. You had to bridge the chasms. You had to fill in those canyons. And friends, that took zillions of slaves. So when a king came, it meant slavery. There's a whole lot of people who think, well, if Jesus is the king, I mean, that's just oppression. Now I'm going to have to do everything he says, and I don't want to do that. I don't like that idea. It sounds like slavery to me. It sounds like oppression to me. No, because Mark deliberately brings this word up. It's the Greek word hodos, which means the road. Prepare the road for the Lord. Prepare the way for the king. So the king has come, and as we've picked up now in the second half of Mark's gospel, we're shocked to discover that Christ, the king, is headed for a cross. Every other place in the book of Mark where the word road is brought up it means the road to the cross. Every other place where the road is used in the book of Mark, it's Jesus' road to the cross. Every place he talks about it. So what this means is this king does not come to go onto a throne. This king comes to go onto a cross. King's cross. I want you to consider today the paradoxical term king's cross may just be at the heart of the gospel according to Mark. King's cross. You realize, you realize what a paradox that is, right? I mean, kings go to thrones. They don't, they don't go to crosses. As a matter of fact, a cross is the opposite of a throne, right? I mean, thrones are places of power. Thrones are places where you call the shots and you're in charge. A cross is a place of the epitome of helplessness and powerlessness. A person who is dying on a cross wasn't even allowed to die in private. It was a long, agonizing death, stripped naked for everybody to see. It was the exact opposite of a throne. So Mark is saying that the kingliness and the greatness of Jesus Christ is that rather than go to a throne when he got here, he went to a cross for us. And what that means is Jesus Christ's kingship is not oppressive because he's not just a king, he's also a servant. Jesus Christ's kingship is not oppressive because it brings salvation by grace through faith. As a result, it's not enslavement at all. When this king comes, it doesn't mean slavery for us. It actually means liberation. And friends, if you really get this, if you really get to the heart of what Mark's trying to say here about the king's cross, it'll change your heart. This king has a cross. 
And in these passion narratives that we're going to be into in the next few weeks, Mark portrays Jesus according to that model, the model of the suffering servant of Isaiah. It's ironic, though, that his death on the cross is actually the place where both his mission and his identity converge. He is the Son of God. And as such, the cross is the first place where humanity recognizes that. You're going to get to that in Mark 15, where the centurion says, Truly, this was the Son of God. So grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. As Luke said, we're going to rewind just a little bit. So I want you to look all the way down to verse 46. As Jesus is heading steadily toward the cross, we pick up this story about seeing him clearly with no filter. Let me start reading it to you in verse 46. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way or the road. Now let's stop and let's go back and let's dissect the text a little bit, can we? Verse 46 says, they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, there was also a great crowd. Now we we start out in verse 46 having trouble seeing clearly already. And the reason why is because people will point to these passages and say, oh, there there you go. There are some contradictions in the Bible. If you look at this, Matthew, Matthew chapter 20 records that Jesus healed two blind men as he was leaving Jericho. Here in Mark, there's only one blind man. Luke 18 mentions two blind men, but says that the miracle happened as Jesus was coming near to Jericho, not leaving Jericho. And then there's archaeological evidence that we won't even get into today that reveals the possibility of two Jerichos. So we say, well, what's up here? What's going on? Well, first of all, by saying Jesus healed a blind man, Mark and Luke do not insist that Jesus healed only one, and the greater includes the less. Silence is not contradiction. Plus, we have to remember there's three different storytellers here, friends. And only one of these we know for sure was an eyewitness, Matthew. Mark and Luke are recounting the eyewitness testimony of others. And you know that because you know that Mark actually worked with the apostle Peter to to write the book of Mark. Mark and Luke are recounting that eyewitness testimony of other people. Also, Mark's readers, this is really cool, likely knew personally this man Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. That's why Mark mentions his name. That's why Mark talks specifically about him. He was the prominent character. He was the spokesperson in the story. And here's the point. Did Jesus heal a blind man? Yes. Was it in and around Jericho? Yes. And people who try to discredit the Bible point to these types of little things. And I say to them, so you're not questioning that Jesus healed at least one blind man somewhere near Jericho, right? 
(laughs) So the supposed contradiction has nothing to do with the credibility of the narratives or their value for us today. It says they came to Jericho. He was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we see that a great crowd is with Jesus. That's indicated here in the text. They're following along, and there's a large crowd. Matthew tells us the same thing. He says there's a large crowd. He even even says that it's a great multitude. So we might ask the question as we slow down a bit, why so many people? Uh, Well, it's a combination. It's a combination of people who are following Jesus because they've heard about him, and it's also a group of people who are pushing down toward Jerusalem because it's Passover time. So there's this great throng of people, this multitude that's headed to Jerusalem. There's tons of Passover excitement. Also, just straight up the hill between Jericho and Jerusalem was Bethany. Do you remember who lived there? Do you remember what happened there? Mary, Martha, Lazarus, yes. Jesus had gone to Bethany and raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, you think that word got down to Jericho? Sure it did. Everybody who went from Jerusalem through Bethany must have been told about the resurrection of Lazarus. And they carried that message to the next town, and that would have been Jericho. It was because he raised Lazarus from the dead that the religious leaders sought to have him killed. So he's the focus of immense attention, to put it mildly. The whole city must be lined up on that dirt road that goes down there, uh, just filled with crowds waiting to see Jesus. Imagine one of those people up in a tree. Remember him? The wee little man, his name was what? Zacchaeus. Did you remember the song? Used to sing it? We won't sing it today. It's okay. Yeah. But he was there. That happens here either before or after the healing of the blind man. So safe to say in any case, it's in the vicinity of Jericho where this happened and there was a great crowd. So near Jericho, all the crowds were gathered around, thousands of people looking to see Jesus. This blind man, a beggar named Bartimaeus, is sitting by the roadside. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, is coming by right now. So he just starts yelling, crying out, the text says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now let's stop there for a second. Can you imagine this? I mean, can you, can you sense? You ever try to imagine stories from the Bible in, in your head as you read them? Can you just sense this man's desperation? Can you hear it? This may be it, right? A chance, a hope. Maybe the only one he will ever get in his life. We we don't know why he was blind. We don't know if he was born blind, like the man in John chapter 9. We don't don't know if if there was an uh, unsanitary condition that caused this, whether he got in a fight or in some kind of accident. We, We don't know what made him blind, but we do know this, that the blind people of that culture were pretty much reduced to begging Because if you were blind in the ancient Near East, in their theology, what that meant was you, my friend, are under divine judgment. It must be your sin that has put you here. You're blind because God is punishing you. Remember John chapter 9? Even the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind, himself or, or his parents? So here's this man who would have been alienated, ostracized, 
a man under a divine curse by their assessment, and he's begging for help. You ever been there? I don't mean blind by the roadside begging, but have you ever felt so desperate, (laughs) maybe hoping so much that your situation would change, but you felt hopeless? Maybe your marriage was in trouble, or maybe you got a heart-wrenching diagnosis from the doctor, or maybe you're dealing with fear and worry over choices that your child is making, or, or maybe you're dealing with fear and worry over choices that your parents are making. Maybe you're struggling to stay sober. Maybe you're in over your head with debt. Desperation takes many forms. I've been there. It's no fun, is it, to feel stuck and have no answers and wonder whether God's even listening? Like, am I calling the wrong number? Can I not get through? That's that's a tough place to be. So that's where Bartimaeus is. I mean, he's begging every day. That's his only option. If he wants to eat, if he wants to live, that somebody will take pity on him. So this is his one chance, and he is crying out. Now, this large crowd is not too happy about this. They're not too happy that he's crying out, all this yelling, all this commotion. Come on, Bartimaeus, we're trying to see the spectacle here. We're looking for the local celebrity. Could you hold it down just a bit? What an attitude, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) No pity, no mercy. He's a nuisance. He's an outcast. He's overlooked every day. Why not? today. Now this huge crowd tries to rebuke him. Verse 48, it says, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But look what he does. It says, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice they rebuke him, but he's not going to be stopped. He's not going to be deterred. He's not going to stop crying out. And that's what desperation does to us, right? Some people give up. Some people give in to despair. Others keep on crying out to God. Bartimaeus kept crying out. You you ask, well, what do you mean, Pastor, when you say crying out to God? Well, just look at what he's crying out. Do you see it? Do Do you see this amazing statement of faith here in this text? How so, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. He shouts Jesus. Now, that's the name everybody knew, the name he was given at birth, that he would save his people from their sins. It meant Jehovah saves. But then he cries this, son of David. Friends, that is a messianic title, and he knew exactly what it was. The Messiah was to be the heir of David's throne, according to 2 Samuel 7. The Messiah would receive the kingdom that had been promised to both David and to Abraham, all these these fulfillment of these promises that God made. This was the most common Jewish title for the Messiah, son of David, son of David, son of David. That's why you have the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, where Jesus is said to be of the line of Joseph, who was a son of David. Yeah, it shows that he comes from the family line of King David. So what is this man saying? Well, friends, it's real simple. He is acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, son of David is synonymous with Messiah. Check Matthew chapter 21, verses 9, 15, and 16. You'll see the synonymous character of this term, Christ and Son of David. And what does he want? Look at his request. Have mercy on me, pity me. One commentary I read said it like this. There's only one way to really understand this man. He believes everything he's heard about Jesus, and he's heard a lot, enough to believe he's the Messiah. 
He understands his own condition and the wretchedness of that condition. He's an outcast. He's a sinner. It is hammered home to him day after day after day as he feels the disdain and the despising of the people who pass by. He couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see the dusty stranger who was not clothed in royal robes, who did not carry a scepter, who was not ascending a throne, but he knew who he was, and he refuses to be beaten back in silence. He needs mercy, and he will fight for that mercy because he knows that Jesus is a merciful Messiah. Now, isn't that awesome? And isn't that ironic? Think about this. The blind man recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. He's the only one who could truly use no filter. (laughs) Irony of ironies, right? That the man without physical sight was the only one in the crowd who could see Jesus clearly on that day. Not the local celebrity, not the miracle magician, not the big time rabbi with all the followers, the Messiah. So Jesus hears and Jesus stops And Jesus answers his prayers, his crying out. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling for you. Now the Luke account actually says, he commanded that he be brought to him. Think about that, he commanded it. And so they called this blind man. Now all of a sudden the crowd, they've changed their tune, right? Jesus' response to this man kind of changes their attitude for the moment. Maybe their curiosity is driving them to think, hey, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens here. Maybe we'll see another miracle. And they're waiting for it. But can you imagine for this blind man, Jesus is calling to him. He commands that he be brought to him. So his heart is racing. His adrenaline is rushing. Butterflies are in his stomach. The Messiah is calling for him. Friends, I don't know where you are in your life right now. You may be enjoying a time of God's great blessings, and if that's you, man, we rejoice with you. We celebrate that. Yet there are many of us in this room that, if we're honest, feel that sense of desperation. And we are crying out to God for help. And I want to say to you today, no matter what form that desperation has taken in your life, don't stop, don't quit, don't give up, persevere, keep crying out because you don't know how close your answer might be. He hears you, he sees you. Believe that he is working behind the scenes for your good. Now, don't skip over this next verse because it's probably one of my very favorite in the whole text. Here here it is, it's gonna come up right here. Here we go, boom, 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 boom. It's coming, I can feel it. Can you feel it? There it is. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus like, Preacher, why is that your favorite verse? I mean, I don't really see much in that. I mean, Jesus, son of David, there's a lot in that. What's up with this? Let me tell you what's going on here. Because this man was blind, he had to be a beggar. And in the ancient Near East, if you were to be a beggar, you had to be designated as such. And so you were given a cloak. And this cloak, the beggar's cloak, kind of gave you permission to beg from the people that were passing by you all the time. So this beggar sitting by the roadside, he's crying out for help every single day of his life, and this cloak allows him to do that. I just love this verse, don't you? Before he knew what was going to happen, before he ends up being healed by Jesus, before he gets the answer 
to his prayers and his crying out. Even before all that was true, it says, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Don't you love that kind of faith? Right, that he was willing to let go of that thing that he had to have to live. He let go of it because he had faith that Jesus was who he said he was. I love that. It's, it's a transference of trust that we see here. So blind Bartimaeus shouts out, using this terminology that hasn't been used in the Gospel of Mark up to this point, son of David. Now, how does he come to this conclusion again? We said maybe word on the street, a short distance from Bethany and the great resurrection miracle. This was a culture that was always living with hopes of a Messiah. This is messianic language. But let me go a step further. Here's what I think is going on. Man, he's going for broke. I mean, he is shooting for the moon. He is, he is betting everything on this choice to throw off his cloak and go to Jesus. He's the only one, even though he couldn't see, to see Jesus clearly. Here's the big principle, friends. Because Jesus truly is the Messiah, he has real power that is available when we call on him by faith. So Bartimaeus calls on Jesus with real faith, messianic-type language faith, and what does he shout? Have mercy on me. Give me mercy. Please don't give me what I deserve. Be merciful. Give me mercy. He sprang up and came to Jesus, verse 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, I want you to stop for a second and notice, this is the second time Jesus uses this same phrase in this chapter. Earlier in verse 36, James and John, they're approaching Jesus for something. Do you remember this story? Jesus asked them the question, what do you want me to do for you? And if you remember, their request is all about position and power and glory and fame. Man, let one of us sit on your right, one of us sit on your left in your glory. No small request. This blind man is not asking for fame or power or glory or honor or money. He wants to see. He wants his sight. He wants to see the world and see the Savior. He wants to open up an Instagram account and put out a selfie, hashtag blind beggar, hashtag miracle, hashtag no filter, right? He's asking for pity and compassion and mercy from the Messiah. And look what Jesus says in verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. You ever heard the phrase, you have not because you ask not? You ever heard that phrase? Yeah, that's not a phrase that your mama made up because she just had a lot of good sayings, right? That's actually a biblical phrase. The brother of Jesus, James, talks about that when he's talking about prayer, asking God for help. He wrote in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Friends, you ever thought about this? You ever wondered how many things might we be missing out on in our lives? How much power for our problems? How many solutions to our situations? How many answers to our prayers are within our grasp and yet we fail to ask God for his help? We go to everybody else <laughs> before we turn to God. Why not ask God for his help today? Some of you need to do that. Now, I know that others of you would say, well, we have been asking. We've been asking and asking and asking and asking and praying, waiting for an answer. I know, I know, I've been there. I can understand that deeply. 
There are things I'm still praying about today, (laughs) things I've been praying about for years. And it seems like God is not hearing, and he's certainly not acting. Again, I hope you'll take a lesson from the blind man. Keep crying out. You never know how close your answer might be. In fact, can we take a little aside? Are you all okay with that? The the 745 service gave me some response, so i got to hear from you. (laughs) Are you okay if we leave Mark and go to Daniel for just a moment? Let's go to Daniel, because in Daniel chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, this this is a great concept here. Daniel had been fasting and praying over something in his life, and he's three weeks looking for an answer from the Lord. But look what happens. He was visited by an angel after that, and the angel said to him, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling, And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. I want to stop there. Do you notice first day? First day, he cries out to God. It says, you you were heard on that day. And I have come because of your words. But look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael... One of the chief princes, one of the chief angels, came to help me. So immediately, an angel had been sent in answer to Daniel's prayers, but it took three weeks, took 21 days of waging spiritual warfare for his answer to get there. What if he'd given up? What if he'd stopped praying? Friends, some of you are desperate right now. Maybe you're desperate for somebody that you love to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as leader and forgiver. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you are about to give up. Let me ask you, you think the devil's going to fight against a prayer like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you better believe it. Those are the ones he fights the hardest against. Your answer may already be on its way, so don't give up. Keep asking. Keep crying out. Reach out to Jesus. Trust that he really is who he says he is. It's the first step of real hope. Now listen, I know that step is not easy. I know it can be scary, but watch this. Don't you just love the end of the story back to Mark now, chapter 10? He asked for help from the only one who could help him, and Jesus responds to this man's faith with help and healing. Listen, both physically, he gave him his sight back, and spiritually. You're like, where do you get that, pastor? Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. This faith, a faith that understood who Jesus really was, a faith that would not give up despite the hopelessness of his situation and all the people around him telling him to to be quiet, a faith that expected and believed in and hoped for a change in his situation, a true transformation. A faith that asks for the right thing, to see, to see clearly, to have no filter on his ability to see and know the Savior. A faith that Jesus said made him well, made him whole. In verse 52, it literally says, your faith has saved you. So friends, calling on the power of Jesus in faith and then receiving it, that should change your life. It should take you someplace. Not just finding Jesus, but it should make you a follower of Jesus. You have to notice how the change happens for Bartimaeus at the end of this story. 
He leaves the cloak. He leaves his former way of life behind. He casts every last hope on Jesus, and Jesus hears his cries, and Jesus answers his prayers, and then it says, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way, on the road. Friends, I want to I challenge you to think about this. Some of you today would say, I'm desperate. I've tried many solutions. I don't have any answers. And yet, if you're honest, you have stopped just short of stepping across the line of faith and calling on Jesus. You've stopped just short of giving your heart and your life to him. You, you stopped just short of saying, I give up. I surrender. I lay it all down before you, God. And friends, can I tell you, you're not going to see the solution clearly in your life until you see Jesus clearly with no filter. Now, again, don't miss this. Jesus hears his cries. He answers his prayers. It says immediately he followed him on the way, the road. The small clue we get about the change in Bartimaeus's life comes in the comment about the road. Mark's real intentional with this word. Bartimaeus begins the story alongside para, the road. He ends the story as he follows Jesus on the road, that road to the cross. My commentary says the shift of prepositions reflects Bartimaeus' move from the invisible periphery of society to the heart of the scene. Friends, if we're honest, some of you are still sitting alongside the road. You're still in the invisible periphery. And yet, because of what Jesus has done for you, you are invited to the heart of the scene. You are invited to become a part of a community of imperfect believers as we walk as fellow strugglers asking God for help with the situations of life. But you know what it's going to take? You know what it's going to take for you to get there? To get from alongside the road to following Jesus on the road? It's going to take throwing your cloak aside. You know what I'm talking about? That thing that you're holding on to in your life that you feel like you have to have in order to move forward? I can't let go of this. Oh, I know all that stuff about Jesus. And I know I've heard stories about how he's done things for others. But I don't know if I can let go of this. Friends, the only way you can join him on the road is to throw your cloak aside and to let go of that old way of life and old way of doing things and to step across that line of faith and truly put your trust in Jesus to follow him on the road. It changed everything for Bartimaeus. In fact, church history would tell us he didn't just get off the side of the road and follow Jesus for a while. He became a disciple. He was known to the early church in that region. That's why they called him by name. People would have known Bartimaeus. He left the invisible periphery and he joined Jesus at the heart of the scene. And that's what Jesus is calling you to do today, to throw your cloak aside and take a step of faith. So let me pray for you that God will do that in your life and then we'll keep singing. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you love us and that you hear our cries for help. God, you, you, don't, you don't ignore the desperation that you hear 
when we cry out. In fact, you've sent us a solution. You sent us Jesus. You love the world so much that you sent your only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every person that's holding on to something so tightly they just can't let it go. Would you meet them where you know you need to meet them today, Lord? Would you meet them where they are? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give them courage to throw the cloak aside and to step out in faith toward you? Would you open the eyes of their hearts today so that they can see you clearly with no filter at all? They can see the real Jesus, the one who is calling for them. Holy Spirit, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.